0: Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. On the programme this week, the Kiwis hope to end their winless Anzac Test run. We preview the Trans-Tasman Netball semi-finals with two New Zealand teams into the playoffs for the first time. We talk to Hayden Padden on just how far off he is from making the top echelon of the World Rally Championship. And as the Rugby World Cup gets closer... Former All-Black Jeff Wilson talks about his experiences at the tournament. The Kiwis are chasing their first Anzac Rugby League test win in Australia when they play the Kangaroos on the Gold Coast tonight. Since the introduction of the series in 1997, the only test New Zealand's won was at the North Harbour Stadium in 1998. But being the current world champions and Four Nations title holders, has given the Kiwis a major confidence boost in recent years, and centre Sean Kenny Dowell told Vinnie Wiley they're banking on that, seeing them through tonight.
4: That has been talked about as well, and um, you know I think that in itself is motivation. You know to perform well on Friday and it'll be awesome if we can pull this one off. I don't think it's been done for 13 years, so um, it would be an awesome achievement to win this game.
3: And Australia, obviously the likes of Jonathan Thurston back there, so they're just you know stronger again, aren't they? Uh, you know, 13 Queenslanders. I mean, you're effectively playing Queenslander. W- what do you make of the line-up for Australia?
4: Yeah, they've got some real strike power there, and um, yeah, we're definitely going to have to be on our game defensively to um,
3: to compete with them. And, um, I'm very confident within the
4: boys, and I'm really looking forward to the challenge of it. A lot of the boys have played together before, so um, yeah, we'll work on the combinations that we're already used to and um, yeah, just try and build on build on those lines that we've already got there.
3: Obviously a massive year personally for you last year in 2010 making the final and then obviously all the personal accolades as well. Do you feel like more of a senior player now coming into this Kiwis environment?
4: Oh, not really. I just feel, you know, the boys here are really welcoming but um, it feels good to be a part of the group, you know, and I'm really happy with that. And, you know, still got friendships from from last year and um, that's something that we'll never get. But, yeah, the boys are pretty tight so it just feels awesome just to be a part of it again.
3: How are the two new caps? I mean, obviously Lewis hasn't played a test yet either, but he's been involved in the squad before. How are the two new caps, Matt Duffy and 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 the other young man? How are they fitting into the team?
4: Uh, no, yeah, I think they're going to be awesome for the team. Um, you know, they're both both really good players, and um, the, the boys are walking walking them along very nicely, and um, they'll fit in very well here. And uh, they just did their speeches on the bus, which was pretty funny. And no, um, yeah, yeah I think they'll be fine, mate think you know we just have to perform on a day and come off the right attitude and um you know stick to our game plan if we do that you know we'll um it'll be a very good game and I'm very confident with the boys and the structure that we've got that we can, can compete very very well.
3: In terms of translating NRL form into uh the test environment is it is it sort of different when you come into that test environment do you do you sort of grow an extra leg you know is it I mean does NRL go out the window and it, you know it's a completely different environment playing Australia and playing international league?
4: Oh yeah you get to play with some of the great players you know in the game and I think that in itself um, is, is motivation you know to perform out there on, on the biggest stage you know in the, in the test match so um, yeah I think it's a little bit different but um, yeah, it's just really good to play with some of the players that you get to play against each week and um, see the skills that they bring to the table so it's, a, it's an exciting experience.
3: What's sort of the message that you guys are focusing on this week?
4: Um, I think you know just really pulling together as a team and um, you know we're really tight but we want to really stick together and um Get on the training paddock and really well, and, and um, yeah, just just work really hard throughout the week to make every everything we do is being really professional. Yeah, we don't have a, very much time, so we just want to make every post a winner and get out there and perform on Friday.
0: That's Kiwis' centre Sean Kenny dowell speaking to Vinnie Wiley. The Waikato Bay of Plenty Magic are claiming home court advantage even though they're playing the Queensland Firebirds on the Gold Coast in the major semi-final of the Trans-Tasman Netball competition on Monday night. Brisbane's the usual home for Queensland, but Magic captain Casey Williams believes with the strong New Zealand population on the Gold Coast, the shift in venue will play into their hands. The Firebirds are unbeaten this season, but Williams is hoping the same fate will befall them as it did the New South Wales Swifts last year, when they went unbeaten during pool play, only to lose both playoff games and fail to make the final,
5: we're hoping that, but I doubt it's going to be like that. Um, I definitely, don't think they're just going to you know let us walk all over them. So it is, it's going to be a tough match, um, but we've got nothing to lose and we've got heaps to gain. And as a team, we've moved on. I think from when we first played them, and we've taken big steps um, forward.
0: Because that was only sort of three or four points, wasn't it? You lost in the in the pool play.
5: Yeah, it was four points. Yep. Yeah.
0: So what, what what has improved over the, those sort of six weeks?
5: Um, I just think off-court as well, we've become more of a team. Um, we, you know, we always were, but I think we've just grown as players and as people at the same time. But also, I think um, out on court, I think the top two inches has really come into play, and we're keeping the position of our ball, um, and at the end, or everywhere, we're just having a go for stuff.
0: You feel as though you've sort of hit hit top form? Are, are you at where you should be come playoff time?
5: Uh, I think we are. You know, we've been, had our ups and downs and we've been through our transition stage and, you know, we've had a couple of losses and I think we've, you know, sort of dealt with everything this year. We've gone into extra time and, um, you know, we've sort of covered all the scenarios that could happen and I think we're, we're ready for it. And as I say, we've got nothing to lose.
0: Do you think this unbeaten run of the Queensland Firebirds might play on their minds at
5: all? Uh, I think so. You know, it only takes one, one player to think, you know, oh my gosh, we could lose, this could be the one time um, that we do lose. And, you know, as soon as there's one person with a doubt, it, it can be catchy. And, um, you know, for on my side, I hope they do think that.
0: <laughs> because this is also the first time they've made the playoffs as well. How much of a factor is that going to be?
5: Yeah, it is. It's huge. Um but, so, you know they'll be really excited about that, um, and like us, we've been there four times, and we've been the bridesmaid just about every time. So um, I think it's time that we we brought the final back, back to the wake of us.
0: I suppose that's the other side of the coin, isn't it? You've you've been there every year, but you've you haven't quite managed to to top it off.
5: Yeah, it is, and I think we owe it to ourselves, um, and to our to our coach, management, and our families and friends to go out there and execute the game plan and, you know, whoever wins will be the most deserving.
0: Is that going to play on your players' minds, though, the fact that you've got to the finals each of the, the four years but, but never won?
5: Um, no, I don't think it does. You know, we talk about it to you know, to the players that have been there and done that to find out if there's anything we can um, change or do differently. But, you know, it's different people, a different team, a new year. Um, and as I've said right from the start, I think there's like an unreal feeling in our team um, that we can win this year, so yeah we're just going on that at the moment and keeping our heads up
0: there's often much talked about the whole pressure in playoffs Is it a big factor, or is it maybe overplayed at some times
5: uh It can affect some people you know differently everyone's um different um personally, I like the pressure um, you know that's when it's time time for you to bring out you know everything in the game in the game book. Um, but others haven't been there before and they may not know, but that's what we're there for, to help them through and just for them to relax and enjoy themselves.
0: The other factor too is there are two New Zealand teams uh, into the playoffs this year. Pleasing from that that wider perspective?
5: Yeah, no, that's really good. Um, I think each year the AMD champs um, New Zealand has improved. We've all, you know, even um, the Pulse this year, they've won three games, so I think each year everybody is getting better and the competition's getting tougher.
0: I was talking to the Waikato Bay of Plenty Magic Nepal captain Casey Williams. The Magic play the Queensland Firebirds on the Gold Coast on Monday night, the winner advancing directly to the final, which they'll then host. The Northern Mystics play the New South Wales Swifts in Sydney on Sunday in the minor semi-final with the loser eliminated and the winner playing the loser of the Magic Firebirds game. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. The South Canterbury rally driver, 24-year-old Hayden Padden, still holds a burning ambition to compete at the highest level of the sport. Padden is favourite to win this weekend's Rally of New Zealand in the Waikato, which is not part of the WRC Championship. Padden competes in a couple of World Rally Championship events in the production class, which he hopes will eventually lead him to drive in the top class. He's changed manufacturers this year and has told Barry Guy, that it's taken him a while to get used to driving a Subaru.
6: A few people have said to me it must be a big difference, and you know there are some major differences in the car. But at the end of the day, as soon as you put the helmet on and hook first gear, you, you just drive the car to its capabilities, and, and you do learn what the weaknesses and strengths of, of them are. And, and the Subaru is definitely uh, got a lot of strengths in it. So um, you know I'm, I'm very comfortable driving the car, and it definitely seems to suit my driving style better.
7: When it comes to, you know, in the WRC, we seem to get uh, one sort of manufacturer sort of leading the way. I mean, is there enough, well, I suppose on a local scene, you know, obviously that, that might not be the case. It's still very competitive across the manufacturers?
6: Uh, yeah, well, in, in Group N, you've really only got the two manufacturers of Mitsubishi and Subaru, and it is very even. Like, uh, you wouldn't say one's got a, uh, a distinctive advantage over the other, so... um, and, and some rallies suit one manufacturer more than the other. So, you know, it's, it is very even and, and it's also between, you know, these half a dozen drivers that are all very capable of winning each rally here in New Zealand. So, But, you know, in saying that, I think the, the face of world rallying is changing. The new world rally cars this year and um, I see Volkswagen's perhaps about to make an announcement uh, today or tomorrow. So then we're up to four manufacturers back there again and, and then they're talking about another two or three over the next few years as well. So... Yeah, the world championship might be back to eight or nine manufacturers, which would be great for the sport.
7: Yeah, because I mean, is it was it the recession? We seem to they seem to be dropping off left, right, and centre, and you just wondered about the future of it.
6: Yeah, I think the biggest thing with that was 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 the cars themselves. Like they were they're so techn- technologically advanced. Like the amount of computers and electronics in the car was was uh, equal, if not more, than a Formula One car, and so. You know, by making the rules more basic this year, it means that manufacturers, uh, new manufacturers, can more easily come into the sport rather than having to develop a car for three, four, five years before they before they compete. With. So it just makes it a lot more accessible, which I think is what what's needed to be done. Like you say, in in these recess and the you know economically hard times, it needs to be more um, more achievable for people.
7: Yeah, so is that something like the FIA? Because we know about the restrictions and the changes that Formula One has made. Is the FIA trying to make that across all sort of motorsport to to keep it competitive and make it interesting for the fans?
6: Yeah, definitely, and, and they are trying to, like you say, make it more spectacular. Uh, make the cars more more spectacular to watch. Uh, they sound better now, obviously, with the with the one point six. They they seem to scream a bit more. But um, they're also moving with the times as well, and they're trying to be more greener, uh, make the cars more economical, um, reduce costs by uh, re- restricting how many parts you can put on the car. And so, um, you know, they are constantly thinking, and the sport is always, you know, the sport is moving with the times, and you know, you, things can't stand still in this world. So, uh, you know, hopefully, the the new era that the WRC is just going into now is uh, going to be one of its uh, one of its good eras.
7: And I suppose, does that also mean that's why there's a possibility that the New Zealand round may only be every second WRC year, sort of, so to speak?
6: Oh, I think it's still very much up for discussion. Like, uh, I think it's fair to say we're always going to have a round. It's within the FIA and, and the World Championship in New Zealand, scene has been one of the iconic round. So, uh, you know, if, if the budget and the sponsorship's here to run a rally in New Zealand, then I don't think we'll lose it. But, uh, yeah, like you say, the, the next matter of fact is... Uh, whether we get one every year or every second year,
7: you're what in the like they say production class when it goes to a WRC round. Am I? That's the correct terminology there, is it? Yes, yep. So
6: same same rallies that we're in, we're like we're literally right behind the World Rally Cars, and um, but the cars are obviously just a, a lesser spec. So we, we've got our own championship within the WRC um, to give ourselves something to aim for.
7: I see you've went to Argentina. I mean, you've got Finland, Australia, Spain, and Wales. How does someone like you afford to do that?
4: <laughs> it's a very good question.
6: So, um, it is difficult. Like, there's huge budget restraints, and that's that's our biggest challenge that we face. Like, the budget for this year is well over half a million dollars, and uh, it is a lot of money. And, and sponsorship in this current day and age is also very difficult to come by. But you know, we're working on it, and we're very lucky this year that um, we've got this new company set up where where we sell shares and uh, what we're doing. And and you know we're not fully funded for this year. We're about two thirds of the way, but all of that at the moment is coming from shareholders, and and all our shareholders are coming from New Zealand. So um, and it's great because we've got a lot more of a structure to it now. We've got directors who are directing uh, our path forward, who are working with these shareholders, and. Um, very, very similar to what Scott Dixon did uh, when he first broke into the, the IndyCar series. So it is difficult, but it, it's not impossible. And um, you know, if we if we can try and go and achieve my goal of making it all the way to the top, then uh, hopefully it creates a path for the next generation of uh, young New Zealand drivers.
7: Oh, well, I was going to say, why do you do it? Because the cost must be phenomenal. But that that's it. It's to compete at the highest level.
6: Yeah, definitely, and it, it's a dream I've had since I was a kid. Like, uh, I never used to watch cartoons as such on TV. It was always rally videos and uh, watching my idol, who was uh, Colin McRae, and you know, I've, I've always dreamt of being a world champion, and, and that's what I want to do, and, and that's what I believe I can do. So, you know, it's uh, what I'm certainly putting everything in towards doing, and it's not going to take five minutes. Like, it's it's going to be a long road, but uh, we're definitely prepared to put in the time and effort.
7: But realistically, I mean, as you say, Scott Dixon's made it to uh, Indy cars, but it, if you look at the uh, WRC, they're pretty much Europeans or Finns or or, or or whatever. I mean, do you think you can crack it? Definitely,
3: definitely.
6: So, uh, and like we were saying earlier, with the, the new generation of World Rally Championships coming into, it's, it's definitely going to work in our favour. Um, like there are more manufacturers coming in there, and, and there are going to be more in the future, and. And these manufacturers are, are all going to need drivers. And, you know, we're still in the early stages in the World Championship, and we, we do need to still get a lot more experience and, and continue developing. But, um, you know, I think there's already been a few people talking about us over there, and so we've just got to keep going over there and getting the good results. And, um, as I say, you've got to be in the right place at the right time. And so, you know, if we're there competing and, and trying to win, um, then uh, you never know what might come out of the
0: woodwork. That's rally driver Hayden Patton talking to Barry Guy. Jeff Wilson was part of an all-black side generally considered the best team never to win the World Cup. Beaten by South Africa in the 1995 final amid allegations of food poisoning, Wilson was part of a side coached by Laurie Maines that, with their style of play, changed the face of the game. He spoke to Martin Cross of the IRB's Total Rugby program about his World Cup experiences.
1: There was a real balance of, of what was selected in that side. We actually had a lot of guys that um, hardly played any test match rugby you know he um, had a wealth of experience aside from that but you had guys like Andrew Mertens, Josh Cronfeld, uh, Glenn Osborne, Joan Lomu, myself I'd only played um, I'd actually only played in three tests I sat in the bench for the other five so we, we didn't have a huge amount of on-field exp- uh, experience in some positions but as the others we had masses of experience and Laurie had a very deliberate plan of what he was trying to do and we trained incredibly hard in our off-season, um, harder than we'd ever trained before and, and um, Laurie had this idea of how we wanted to play the game and the speed we wanted to play the game and you know, we certainly felt as though we were the best team at that World Cup um, and played some fantastic rugby and you know, in the end we just weren't quite good enough to get out of that final hurdle.
2: All Blacks in South Africa, um, <laughs> it's, it's the legendary rival isn't it, I mean, yeah, this rival between the Springboks and, and, and the All Blacks, so what sort of welcome did you get there? Because um, Kind of the community always got
1: behind you in some ways. It was all good until the last game, <laughs> pretty much. I mean, I think uh, I think um, South Africa needed that World Cup and they embraced it Im- uh, immensely. You know, um, it was a great event. It was extremely well run, and they were so passionate about it. And for us, you know, I think um, I think they were just so happy to have that level of international rugby. So much of it in a, in a country that that you know, loves it, just drives them and watch them has been involved with so from my perspective um, it was such a great tournament to be a, to be a part of and I say we were welcomed with open arms and there was, there was, was a, a faction of the community that were very supportive of us and you know, we felt as though that we played some really entertaining rugby um, and we, you know, I still look back on that tournament and believe that in, in some ways we sort of changed the face of the game and the way the game could be played.
2: Wait, I think you did in, in many ways. Um, yeah, you know, he swept through the pool pool matches. I remember you know, Wales and Ireland were, were blown away. Um, then England in the semis, and everyone remembers that. You know, Jonah. Um, just obviously, you were on the other side of the pitch from him. But what kind of phenomenon was he?
1: Well, I mean, I think um, you know he had he had some he could do some things that no one else could do on the field. You know, he was such a tremendous athlete. Um, You know, I I was unfortunate I had to play against Jonah growing growing up as well, you know. So it wasn't the first time I'd seen him in action, but, you know, I'd I'd known Jonah for a a few years. Before that, I'd I'd played some major group rugby in New Zealand secondary schools when he was a number eight. Um, You know, and I think, uh, I mean, what he was able to do as a player in that tournament was was something phenomenal, you know. And uh, you don't get to see that every day. And i say I was glad I was a part of it. And, um, you know, he he may not have played like that um, for a long time in his career, but... He he showed people what uh, the future of the game could possibly be like. Um, we haven't seen another one like him yet, and um, you know it'll be. I think it'll be a while before we we do see someone like him again. But um, you know I think he handled the pressure incredibly well, and I think uh, Laurie coached him very well and managed him well. And you know we, we had such a I think a strong group of experienced guys around him that um, that helped him play what I think was just the, the most sublime rugby.
2: Memories of the final, um, yeah, I've just written down things that came into my head, Mandela, the drop goal, but most importantly, some of you weren't very well, I mean, there's lots of myths and legends about this, you know, Susie, Waitress, mm. you, you came off at half time, so clearly people were unwell.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, we, we, it was an unfortunate situation for us, you know, and um, you know, I would say two-thirds of the team were affected in some way, I mean, I was one of the, the guys affected uh, the worst, but um, I mean, overall, uh, we went into that game knowing what we had to do to win, and. You know, I, I certainly don't think we, we've got any excuses. Um, I think for some of us, it made it a little bit more difficult, but we had every chance to win that game. You know, and um, you know, in the end, that they, they did what they needed to do. And you know, I, 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 in terms of the day, my memories are a little bit vague because basically, I'd for two two days beforehand, I'd eaten a, a bowl of soup and a bread roll. That's all I'd actually managed to hold down. So, you know, some of us found it incredibly tough, but. You know, in terms of what it did for South African rugby, and it certainly, um, I think, put their I think, the aura back in place of the fact that you know, the, the the mantra that they had before apartheid and the time being out, you know, they were well and truly back and a, a, a force to be reckoned with. And for us, probably more frustration because, you know, I don't think we were able to play our best game um, collectively as a group, um, but we still were able to have an opportunity and didn't quite get there. It's going to be 15-12 for the. For, for eternity, and for us as players, you, you just live with that.
2: Four years later, um, perhaps was it a different atmosphere between, in, in the all black team then? I mean, were you as good? Was it a stronger group on the outside? Perhaps not, but then you stormed through the pool matches.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think, um, as we know, uh, World Cups are about winning three big games, you know, quarter semi finals, and, um, you know, we'd had a, a, a great 96 and 97. Uh, 98 was very scratchy where we lost a number of games in a row. Um, 99, we'd sort of rebounded a little bit, um, but we certainly didn't have the experience that we uh, we had in 95. Um, and in the end, that's what that, that, the toll was taken. And, you know, we, we struck a, a French team that was played some sublime rugby for, for 20 minutes, you know. And you know, I think it, uh, it was at 25-10, um, just after halftime, we had the game... You know in control, and then they went on that tier, and we weren't able to respond and you know um they've still done it subsequently from then you know, and that's the beauty of the french side they 've always got that one big game in them um, and and uh, that's the that's the way that I suppose we've just got to look at that ninety nine and say it was a it was a missed opportunity, but you know i, I don't think in terms of and comparatively to ninety five we were anywhere near as dominant or as strong as we were then um, it's
2: Take us be. inside um well, onto the pitch, if you like. When, you know, At half time, that game was over, I remember watching it and thinking, this is just, the are going to run away with this.
1: And all of a sudden, you, what you needed to do was get a kick-off or you needed a bounce of the ball, or you know, and we had a couple of those things go against us and then they did a couple of unorthodox things and, you know, um, they got some momentum and uh, like any game of rugby, like any sport, all of a sudden, when the momentum shifts, it's a matter of getting it back and we just couldn't find a way to get it back, you know, and when they started to roll... Um, you know, they, they got to a point where they were they were out in front and comfortably out in front it was, it was the game was over. And, you know, it, it's one of those situations where, you know, it, it, I think it happens to a number of teams where it is, you are powerless to do anything about it. Um, as much as you try, and I remember it, you know, the things we were talking about, we talked about in other games about doing. You know, it was just a, a matter of they had their day. It happens.
2: Returning home after that, I mean, I... I... I was with the All Blacks in 2007 when they when they lost to France in the quarter final and and, and um, yeah there was a state of shock amongst the fans sitting outside in Cardiff. Yeah. When you came home from that '99 World Cup, were, you, were, you, were the players? You know, how did you cope with this? Oh, I didn't come
1: home. <laughs> I stayed in Europe and went on tour. Actually, um, I went on tour with my mum. We had a look around Europe. I mean, I was I was planning to come home, but then I, because we'd I'd got knocked out early, I stayed over there. Um, Perhaps was that the best thing? Well, I mean, I think. Reality, I mean, New, Zealand, uh, New Zealanders are very passionate about the game and they want the All Blacks to do well and their expectation is for the All Blacks to win, you know, so I don't think that's ever going to change. Um, you know, uh, I think the certainly the, the feeling after 95 versus 99 was very, very different, you know. Um, in 95 they could see or, or believe that we'd done everything we possibly could. There was some doubts about some selections maybe in 99 and there was some questionings and, you know, the public, I think, Bore, more out of frustration, 91, 95, 99. We spoke. We're going in as favourites and not winning. Um, in the end, the, the 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 players and the coaching staff, in particular, the 99 team bore the brunt of of a public frustration. And that happens, you know. And you know, I think like Josh says, the best thing is to go away and you know let people try and get over it. And you know, the, people are going to point the finger, and you can't control what other people think. And you know, I know when we were there in 99, we believe we did everything we could. To win that tournament, it just wasn't meant to be.
2: Moving on, let's look at, at this tournament. Do you think the All Blacks are going to be celebrating at the end of it?
1: Well, I mean, they've got to go in as favourites. Um, you know, I, I think in any World Cup, we always go with the mo- We've got the most talented team. That's pretty much it. Um, we've just, I suppose, got to carry on the good form from last year. Um, we're going to rely heavily on, on, on a few players. Um, but the core group of guys that, that the coaching staff have developed um, have all become really solid and talented and, and good performers consistently at the international level. So we've got to go in as favourites and um, we've got that home field advantage. Uh, you know, it, you hate to say it, but we should win the win this World Cup. You know, it's I think it's actually ours to lose.
0: That's former All Black Jeff Wilson talking about his career. And that's extra time for this week. Remember, you can catch all the latest sports news on our website, radioNZ.co.nz. I'm Stephen Hewson. Bye for now.